It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited about today's show because we're going to be talking about crisis communication. If you are a human being, if you have a company of any size, uh, sooner or later, crisis will occur. Today on the show, I have Jeff Chatterton. Jeff Chatterton is one of the world's leading crisis communicators who has helped clients in various industries across six continents. He's also the best-selling author or co-author of Leaders Under Fire, uh, available on Amazon or wherever you pick up your favorite books. And we're going to be talking about what to do in a crisis situation. Um, for example, it's easier than ever today to get into hot water. We have all these different uh, social media outlets, all these you know groups that are looking for companies and for individuals to slip. Um, the world is literally on the edge, especially after COVID, and companies are going to discover what this means to them. And some of them are going to discover this in a very, very hard way. So we're going to find out about how easy it is to get into trouble. We're also going to find out how to prepare for, um, let's say, a CEO or a company that might get into crisis. Um, and here's one of the takeaways. If you're not prepared, a company may survive the crisis, but usually the CEO doesn't. So this is going to be very interesting to you, a business owner. Um, also, if somebody, if you're in the C-suite, this is going to be uh, a very valuable uh, interview today. Crisis communications plans. This is one of the big myths that we're going to talk about. You, you know, if you have a crisis communication plan, it's probably a complete waste of time. And that is uh, a quote from uh, Jeff Chatterton. Uh, again, Jeff Chatterton is one of the world's leading crisis communicators. He's helped clients all over the world. Jeff Chatterton, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited. I'm, we'll have some fun. <laughs> All right. So let me ask you this. Uh, how did you get into this crisis communication, crisis management? Talk about your background. The, uh, the standard joke is, how did you get into crisis PR? And the answer is, by accident. <laughs> Didn't. Didn't. Yeah. Um, I, I was a political hack. I'm a former reporter. I had, uh, done okay in that industry and, uh, gotten into politics and ended up being the guy on the ground in the middle of Canada's largest environmental chaos disaster zone. Um, and, uh, that was, uh, that was 20 years ago. Um, business and change and evolution led to the fact that I was now, um, able to either go do that uh, for a company or to start my own thing. Uh, and uh, my wife, God bless her, said, uh, uh, we don't have a mortgage and we don't have kids. So if you're going to fail, go fail now. And uh, and I'm still here. Um, so, you know, and had a wonderful opportunity to help uh, people everywhere from Sydney to Stockholm in the middle of some really trying circumstances. Um, but, uh, but it's been a lot of fun along the way. Yeah. And, and so your company, let's talk about this. Your company is called Checkmate. And, it, and basically, this is your specialty. And this is something that uh, 
that from a marketing standpoint of view, I love the fact that you guys have niched down and you're laser focused on this one area because PR can be all over the map. Marketing is all over the map, but you guys uh, and your company Checkmate have focused on helping individuals through this process. And, and so um, uh, Checkmate, it, it, the, what's the website for Checkmate? Uh, CheckmatePublicAffairs.com. Checkmate. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, we, we, we sat there and we said, uh, do we want to be all things to all people? And we don't, uh, there's a lot of PR companies that claim to do crisis communications. And, uh, basically the, the thinking was, do you want to go work out, uh, if, if you need someone in your corner, if you need a, a fighter in your corner, do you want the guy who, you know, goes to the gym and spars, you know, every other Friday? Or do you want the guy who bare knuckle boxes every day and likes it? So, uh, so that, that's. That's we've, a great analogy. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, you know what, in the world, the world has become a place for experts and specialists. Look, when I was growing up, you would go to the department store to buy your shoes and your clothes. And now we have specific stores that sell just running shoes. Yep. You know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, there, there are specific stores that just, that just sell men's fashion. And, 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 and so we've become this, this place where we are seeking the specialties and we're, and we're willing to pay more for a specialist. The guy, as you mentioned, the, the guy who not only likes to uh, bare knuckle brawl, but that's all he does. But the flip side of that is you got to be really damn good at selling those shoes. Like you need to know your shoes. And yeah. if you're um, uh, who's, who's been, I mean, in the last three years, I can think of three retailers, especially in the female clothing space, who've gotten themselves into hot water for a lack of inclusivity in their modeling uh, for, um, you know, uh, Lululemon had uh, exercise pants that turned out they were see-through. Um, I mean, you, if, if you're going to claim to be a specialist, you need to be really good at what you do. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Look, if you're really good at what you do, you can get away with so much. And what, and what, I, what I mean by that is this. Uh, there are people who are so good at what they do. And, and I'm trying to think of uh, an example. Um, let's say a Michael Jordan who is long gone retired, but still when he was at the top of his game, he was a specialist. He, he was unstoppable. But when, but a lot of his teammates feared him because the guy was, uh, for lack of better terms, he was an a-hole. He was so focused yeah. on doing what he needed to do. And he was so good at it that he says, Hey, you got to come to play at my level. And so, uh, when people are that good, male or female, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, they don't have to be socially acceptable all the time because they're so good at what they do. I don't know. I, I yeah. Uh, but at, at the same time, I think I'd have a pretty short client interaction if I run around telling CEOs that they were a-holes. Um, <laughs> I have to, I have to phrase that fairly delicately when I do, do I have your permission to speak bluntly, sir? <laughs> right. uh, well, you know, but, but it's, but it's, it's, uh, to me, it's a compliment in the sense that you're so focused. You, you, this area is your place. You own it and yeah. nobody can take it away from you. And, and, and again, 
anyway, so we'll just move on from the a-hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this. Um, you just mentioned uh, some retailers that got themselves into hot water. Sure. Uh, can you give us an example of somebody who did get into hot water and did it poorly versus somebody who got into hot water and did it well? Oh, no. And there are tons of examples out there throughout common history. Um, uh, heck, um, let's let's talk about the aviation industry. If, if you're Malaysian Airlines, you did nothing wrong. You absolutely we're not responsible for the fact that uh, the Russians invaded a foreign country and then a bunch of rebels shot a missile into the sky and shot down one of your airplanes or um, that a pilot got suicidal and decided to fly off into outer space. Um, I mean, there were two well-known, very public disasters in the space of, of a year. Malaysian airlines didn't necessarily get into trouble for the fact that their plane got shot down they got into trouble for how they were communicating to the families and to the world at large. Uh, at the same time, uh, I had a client um, in, uh, I believe it was 2010. Uh, I got a phone call that said, how quickly can you come to Africa? And I'm like, okay, let's, let's go. Charter aviation company goes down. Um, a number of passengers had died. It was an at fault accident. So we couldn't really get away with blaming Russian rebels or anything like that. Um, but we, we went in and we, we led with openness, honesty, transparency, and empathy. Empathy was just so critically important to us and so critically lacking for the folks over at Malaysian airlines. Um, long story short, and we could get into the, the whatnots and the whys, but two years later, sales for my particular company have gone up by 29%. They actually grew their company despite having killed a couple of their passengers. It's not a repeatable strategy. It's not like you can, you know, go out and do it again, but it's not what happens to you. It's how you respond to those bad things that determines trust, credibility, reliability, and credibility. And, and uh, that's at the end of the day, what we have are our reputations. Yes. At the end of the day, what we ultimately trade is trust for money or trust for client uh, interaction, whatever you want, however you want to phrase it. I call trust the engine oil that lubricates the motors of commerce. Yes. And, and I think that's so true. And not just, not just commerce, but everything that we do is based on trust. Uh, your spouse either trusts you or they don't. Uh, your, again, your children either trust you or they don't. And, and, and again, your friends, your business partners, all this, it's built on trust. And if the trust is not there, then the relationship dies. Doesn't matter, you know, what the deal is. All right. So let me ask you this. Um, we are now uh, seeing just different uh, fallout or effects from COVID and one of them is this balancing act that business have to do when it comes to employees' well-being, their mental health. Yeah. Uh, talk about this, because I think this is moving forward. This is an area that before COVID, most people didn't talk about, didn't think about. It wasn't on the radar. But now, post-COVID, 
it's it's a thing. People have to really, when I say people, CEOs and business owners have to make this uh, an expectation. So talk about your, your, give me your take on this. I think that um, we have gone through the largest economic disruptor since World War II. Uh, I think it has been absolutely chaotic um, and there isn't, it hasn't been a single business across uh, North America, if not the globe, which has been in one way or another affected by the COVID pandemic. That being said, up until now, if you're the business leader of an affected business, you could get away with just about anything. If you had to sacrifice virgins in your parking lot, you could get away with saying, meh, COVID. And people go, meh, what do you do? It's COVID, right? That's not going to work anymore. The, the scrutiny is coming back. The people are taking a good, hard look. They're taking a look at you. They're taking a look at your operations. And they're taking a look at your communications. And frankly, all the economic damage is still there to be reckoned with. There are companies that are going to have to denounce layoffs. There are companies that are going to have to make decisions as to whether they're going to continue to allow remote working or do they bring them back into the office? If they bring them back into the office, what does that look like? And so all of these companies are dealing with a brand new reality, but they haven't figured out what that means and they need to be able to communicate that. And they're most important audience as they move forward, especially in the next six months, it's not going to be the public because the public is still dealing with our borders open, our borders closed. Do I need to get a shot? Is this everything else? But your own employees, you know, they, um, if you're not looking after them, someone else will. That's the, the long and the short of it. And, and we can argue, oh, they're being snowflakes all you want. It doesn't matter. Uh, if, if someone is prepared to uh, come up with a better package or a better idea or a better work situation, uh, that makes you extremely vulnerable. And, uh, and it's not the, the facts that's going to determine whether or not you keep your employees. It's going to be how you communicate with them. Are you communicating openly, authentically with empathy? The, everything else, you can come out and say, you know, at the end of the day, hey, look, we're going to have to lay off one third of you. But if you do it well, you actually grow loyalty. Yes. Um, and, and that's where I think a lot of organizations are going to face some speed bumps and some hiccups in the next few months. Yes, absolutely. No, I think it's a very, a very good point because you mentioned two things, and that is uh, empathy. You've mentioned that a couple of times, and I think that is that is so crucial, and we forget how important empathy is it's one thing to say hey you guys are laid off sorry boom or hey you know we have to lay you off here's the reason why i know that this is going to affect you so we're going to try to do this we're trying to do that we're going to set this up and that up so to make the drink to make the transition as easy as possible you know so there's a again that empathy is going to be huge and then we talked about trust a couple of times uh, all right so i want to ask you this as well uh let's see uh let me look at my notes real quick um, in the beginning, I mentioned about a corporate crisis communication plan and mm. the fact that you think it's a big waste of time. I want you to talk about this because this is something that you hear people talk about all the time, having your crisis 
plan ready, why do you think it's a waste of time? Uh, well, let me let me take half a step back. What, who are the people talking most loudly about the importance of the crisis communication plan? Uh, crisis communication consultants. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, exactly. They're the ones who make the money on it. Um, if, uh, quite honestly, yeah. Look, I mean, it's it's a dirty little secret within the industry. I am I can sell fifty thousand dollar crisis communication plans to companies all year long, and I know full well that that binder is going to go sit on some mid-level manager's filing cabinet and get ignored for the next three or four years, but they've managed to tick the box and now they can report back to the board of directors. So it's okay. We have a plan. Uh, It's useless. It's completely useless. If it's on fire, it's completely useless. If it's outdated and quite frankly, there isn't a single crisis communications plan on earth that anyone has shown me that was able to predict the COVID pandemic. And and that's been massively disruptive. So don't tell me that it's all inclusive and encompassing. Right. I I think what's a far more, far better use of resources is to have someone. Um, So there are three things. A, make sure that you have a designated spokesperson. Um, make sure that that designated spokesperson is trained in crisis communications, not media training. That's a very different skill set, but crisis communications training. Uh, and give them three the freedom to do the job. If if they need to issue a statement that says, "Hey, our building is on fire," but they need to run it by fourteen different layers of approval, including three different people from legal. Uh, and it's going to, you know, come out, uh, you know, heck, sometime next Tuesday, it's useless. It does you no good. you got to give them the freedom to actually do their work. Um, but then aside from that, so you've got your spokesperson nailed out and you got that kind of stuff figured out. And obviously you can have some plans to d- determine logistics. Uh, no one's arguing that you shouldn't know where all the fire extinguishers are right? You need to know how to evacuate your arena. You need to know where, you know, everything is, but have someone in your corner who can give, I call it the perspective buddy, someone who can put their arm on around you and go, all right, Bert, I know right now you want to say this, but you can't say this right now. What I would recommend is, why don't we try saying this right now? Wouldn't that make more sense? Doesn't that get what you've done? And they go, oh, and Bert goes, okay, okay. I, I can see where you're going with that. But Bert can't do that for himself right then, right? Um, and I'm sorry to throw, I'm not throwing you under the bus. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, 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 it's intense. It's emotional. It's scary, right? You need someone who's able to go, okay, look. I'm an expert in what you're going to do here. You can't do this. Let's do it this way, right? Uh, one of the things we did um, is we uh, we stopped selling the binder completely. We actually put people on a flat rate. Um, it doesn't matter month to month. If you need us, great. We're there for you. If you don't need us, it's great. It's cheap insurance. Um, um, and uh, we uh, we think it's better for the client because frankly, we're incentivized to make the crisis go way faster. Um, anyone who charges you hourly rates in the middle of a crisis isn't incentivized. I mean, they're going to stick a junior staffer on there and charge you 300 bucks an hour to, 
do a deep dive fact finding mission. Uh, no, you need to get this crap done and dealt with. Right, right. right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Look, if I'm if, if I'm if I'm able to bill you by the hour, uh, then I'm going to have a focus group, possibly oh yeah, focus groups. You know, we're going to a couple of different tests. You know. Some very uh, nice looking memos. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's ludicrous, and you see it time and time again. And uh, with all due respect to some of my colleagues within the PR industry, it's not what's best for the client. Right. And 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 that's why we wrote the book. It was enough is enough. Right. No, I love it. All right. So speaking of the book, here's one of my. Uh, I, I want to talk about this. Um, and so in the book. Uh, you talk about if you're defending, you're losing. And, and you, you know, again, you give great detail about this, but I want to talk about this, uh, this strategy of, of if you're defending, you're losing. Talk about that. And, and uh, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, If, uh, if you can openly, authentically and transparently say, Hey, all right, look, here's what's happened. Here's what we've done. Here's why we've done it. That's not being defensive. If you're responding to allegations like, uh, hey, you didn't tell us right away about X, now you're on defense. If um, if the union is uh, raising concerns because you've done something or whatever, um, it's it's not good. You need to you need to be able to have someone who can anticipate those questions and preemptively jump in and you know, hey look, we're going to, uh, we, we, we are going through some workforce reductions. Now, I know the union is upset about this. We've taken a look at those concerns and here's what we've done and why. All of a sudden, you've taken all that future, you know, avalanche of crap that's about to come down on you and, and popped up an umbrella. Um, and and uh, it's, it's, the crap's still going to come down, but at least it's not going to land on you. Right. Well, and, and you have a better chance of getting ahead of the crap or controlling it yes. versus letting it get a hand. Uh, and again, I want to plug the book real quick. Uh, the book, Leaders Under Fire, Jeff Chatterton and Conway Frazier are the co-authors. Now, in the book, and, and this is, I think, kind of funny that, uh, but it has to be said because this happens all the time. But in the book, it says, never lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. What a what a what a great strategy. Tell the truth. Don't lie. <laughs> but as simple as that is, companies screw this up all the time. Malaysia Air, you know, even you know, if they would have come out and said, "Listen, this is what happened. We're not really sure what's going on," you know, and and, and then showed some empathy to the families, that would have carried so much more than trying to. I don't know, avoid, uh, hide, you know, go ahead. A little, a little closer to home. I think you've seen it time and time again. And I don't, I don't want to call out companies for having explicitly lied. I think everyone's familiar with politicians and are whether or not they're telling the truth or not. Uh, but I, I think we, we look back at, at just the, the, the COVID response, for example, uh, there's been a lot of unknowns and i think what what the public needed to hear was right at the very beginning for example do we wear masks do we not wear masks masks are good masks are bad oh we don't know this uh someone uh needed to have done a better clearer job of saying you know what this is very new to us 
where we are putting every resource we have into getting a clear answer. And the answer on this may change, but the best information that we have at the time says X. Now, if that changes, we're going to be transparent and let you know. And we're going to ask in advance for your forgiveness because chances are good that information will change. But we're going to be very transparent with you as we go through this together. Um, I think that dramatically changes the nature of 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 the sterile, you know, well, according to the best information we have, masks are good. Oh, wait, no, wait, masks are bad. Oh, wait, no, yeah, masks are good again. You know, <laughs> no wonder people get upset. Right. Especially when I, I think uh, later on, <laughs> uh, one mask is good, two masks, even better. Yeah. <laughs> what? Was, yeah, yeah. But you know what? And again, I love that example because... If I am a leader, uh, a company leader, a politician, uh, a governor, a president, and I come out and say, this is new to all of us. This is going to change minute by minute. This is, you know, uh, we're going to do the very best that we can to give you the information so you can make your decisions, whatever, whatever. Uh, That takes the pressure off that leader and... He, just, he or she doesn't have to have all the answers because this is new. It I mean, is new. And I understand it's scary for you, Bert. And I understand you have a lot of questions. And we're doing everything we can to get those questions right now. Yeah. Right? Boom. Boom. Huge difference and, to the overall nature of communication. Right. And, and, and again, the empathy, uh, the fact that you're saying, hey, I know this is scary for you. That empathy uh, goes such a long way. Uh, to me, uh, I'm, I am become more and more and more aware how important empathy is. Again, not just in business, but at home, uh, you know, no matter what the relationship is, empathy really goes a long way of, of making that connection, building that trust. Uh, it's such an overlooked, what's the word I'm looking at, for? Strategy, emotion, whatever. At, at the end of the on. day, we're not data. We're not we're not numbers. We're not, we're not a spreadsheet or a bottom line or an ROI or any of those things. At the end of the day, we are people who choose to buy from other people. Yes. It really is that simple. People buy from people. And now we do it with different technologies and different ideas and different, you know, know, ways of communicating and, and stuff. But at the end of the day, we're all people and people are sticky and gooey and full of emotion uh even even the most hardened grizzled accountant still has emotions right absolutely you hit the nail on the head look at the end of the day we buy from people specifically people we like know and trust and how do you how do you build that again empathy uh, is certainly one of the ways. And then, uh, yeah, people are gooey and weird and complicated and full of just all sorts of baggage and filters. All right. So I'll, I want to talk about this because I think this is uh, so important. Why do companies survive crises, but many, many times the CEOs do not? Talk about this. So uh, we've we've all seen it. We've seen it time and time again. CEO gets out there. 
Um, and then maybe he gets caught with erroneous information or, and, and he didn't explain that we don't know all the answers and he tried to make it up or uh, he was withholding the fact that they actually knew about this two weeks earlier, but they didn't want to say anything because they thought they could get away with it. Or um, frankly, uh, their corporate legal counsel is saying, don't admit anything. We don't want to admit liability in a court of law, which is about the worst legal strategy you can ever come up with. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, that blows back. And it does, and it ties back to if you're defending, you're losing. It comes back to if you're if you're lying, you're done, right? And 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 the board of directors is going to meet the following month, and they're going to say what is the fastest and easiest way to get us out of this particular problem. And at that point, it becomes really transparently simple that there is one move that they have in their arsenal to get rid of the biggest challenge to their organization uh and, and we've seen it um you know time and time and time even even when you can't fire someone just because it that becomes a story um remember the bp oil spill off the louisiana gulf coast yeah. um tony hayward was the ceo of bp did some horrible communicating and uh they reassigned him He's working in Siberia. I wish I could make this up. He's literally, he was reassigned to Siberia, right? I don't want to work in Siberia. I, I have I have clients in all six continents and I am sure Siberia is lovely. I don't want to have to necessarily have to go there. <laughs> yeah, so funny. You know, the reason that's so funny is A, it's true. And B, you know, you've, you've, you know we've all grown up hearing things about uh, you know, when, when somebody gets pissed off, they send you to Siberia, right? <laughs> they, they, you know, they, they don't fire you. They don't, they don't kill you. They just send you to Siberia. And, you know, yeah. those people tend to quit or die or whatever, <laughs> mysteriously disappear. I don't know. <laughs> All right. The book, Leaders Under Fire. Uh, and, and what's so really nice about this book is that it's really, uh, you've taken all of the years of experience that you and uh, uh, Conway have, and you've distilled it in this book. So really, uh, for a lot of people, they could get this book and, and, and get a sense of the do's and don'ts. Uh, and I think that um, that in itself is a big, it's just a huge step forward, right? It gives them the edge. It was funny because Conway's a, a friend, but he's also a competitor. And, and, we, and there isn't a word that went in there that we didn't both agree on. So it's, it's condensed punches of reality. Um, we intentionally kept it short. I think it's only about 150 pages. It's designed to be able to be finished on a flight from New York to L.A., um uh, because we don't pull any punches it's it's some pretty brazen truths that are out there uh i will say if you want a copy i'm happy to send you one if you go to leadersunderfire.com i'll send you one for free the only thing i'm going to ask for is a few bucks to pay for the shipping costs so yeah that's outstanding i i uh, again uh what's so good about this book and, and you're right it, it isn't but about 150 pages but it is an easy read it's not complex uh which uh i think what you said earlier that some people try to make things complicated. Hey, look, 
give me 50,000 bucks. Here's this binder that you'll never use. And everybody feels good. But at the end of the day, that binder, you know, the, the, there's no way that that binder can really prepare you uh, for what's ahead. And I think if, the, if you're a CEO, if you're a business owner, if you dabble in the public eye or in social media, uh, this should be part of your arsenal. It's a must read in that sense, because again, my biggest takeaway is that it gives you uh, such great strategies. Here's some good examples. Here's what you don't do. Here's what you should do. Uh, you talk a lot about in the book about being prepared. And, and I think that uh, in itself is a, I don't know, I think it's a, it's a refreshing point of view. Uh, I know that a lot of people hate to prepare for this kind of stuff, but it's the old saying, right? A, a, an ounce of, what is it? Prevention? Is pound of cure. Pound of cure kind of a thing. I yeah. At the end of the day, I, I think there were just too many organizations that through no fault of their own, because they've been told this is how they need to do things, have been driving their bus by looking through the rear view mirror. Yes. Um, and and there are, there's a better, simpler, cheaper, far more effective way to do things out of it. Yeah, I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, leadersunderfire.com. Is that? Is it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hop on there and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll send you a free copy. No, no, it's, it's not about the, the, the book sales. It's about making sure the information gets to the hands of the people who need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for stopping by. Looking forward to catching up with you again and uh, looking forward to uh, seeing, you know, seeing, uh, what do you call it? Uh, I guess, I guess technically we won't see you out there. We may see your clients, but we don't, we won't know that. If, if you've seen me, something has gone horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. If you're seeing my face, it's, 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 something's gone horribly wrong. What a, what a great, uh, what a great comment. Anyway, Jeff, thank you so much for stopping. Thank by. you, Bert. I had a good, good time. Any, anytime.